and paying the penalty of our separation, which of course is death. And in that, in that separation being paid for, demonstrating that there is a new life, that there is a new creation, and that there's a new future for each one of us, where there will be no sickness or sadness, where the Lord will be present every moment of every day in a way that is way beyond even now our capacity to conceive. So that, that story, of course, is the great story of Scripture. But within the story of Scripture, there are these narratives, the, the heroes, the women and the men who walked with God. And when you look at their story, each of their, each of their narratives follows a particular pattern. And this pattern has been picked up in multiple cultures around the world. And this pattern has been represented in the way in which we share stories through song, through art in our day, through movies, through, through visual presentations. That story is the story that is called the hero's journey. The journey of the person who hears the call to make a difference. Here's a call to change the world. Here's a call to influence those around them for good. This call is, of course, met with enormous challenge. The challenge that can only be embraced with the conviction of the call. But in the midst of that challenge, we discover that there are people that God sends to the hero mentors and guides and, and, and encouragers, people who are friends and family for the journey. And though sometimes the challenge is a challenge that is, is so extreme that it, it seems as though it's a life and death challenge, God, in the midst of that valley, meets the hero and brings she, he, them through that great and, and perhaps most, most grievous of challenges and gives them victory. And as they, as they come through the victory, the spoils of victory, the blessings, the, the boons of, of victory are, are not only enjoyed by the, the victor, by the hero, but the hero shares those spoils with others. And so this, this picture is the picture that, that kind of drives and defines the stories of Scripture and drives and defines the stories that we sing about as we sing along to country music on the radio, as we, as we maybe not sing along, but kind of rap along to rap and hip-hop songs. And it's, it's the story that we enjoy when we go to the movies and we, we see Top Gun, Maverick, and we, we see the story portrayed for us again. And you'd think that we'd, I mean, we've seen it so many times. It's the same story. And yet, it's like we've been hardwired to understand and embrace this as not only the story of those people out there, but the story of our life. The story of what it means to, to engage with a world that has challenges, to, to take on the task of of being a friend, 
The task of, of being a spouse, the task of being a parent, the task of being a grandparent. We sense the call. We recognize the vocation. We, we, we engage with the challenge. And we pray for and look for the victory when we can be blessed and we can bless others with that same blessing. So that picture that we've been looking at together is the, is the picture, is the story, is the framework of everything that we read about in the Bible. And of course, we've looked at Abraham and Sarah, we've looked at Joseph, we've looked at Esther and Daniel. And now as we move towards the celebration of Christmas, we're going to look at other characters, some characters from the New Testament especially. And today, we're going to look at the story of Jesus as it were from the distance of seeing his heroic journey and hearing what scripture says to us about what it is that we should do in response to that amazing story of Jesus. I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter two and verse five. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Paul is writing from prison to his friends, the first church that he planted in Europe Having left Asia Minor, he went to Europe and began a great work of church planting. And the very first church was the church in Philippi. And now in prison, perhaps contemplating his own death, he writes these words. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Did you get the picture? Jesus in heaven steps from his throne, chooses to take on humanity, chooses to take on our life, chooses to take on our flesh. He doesn't come here as like a human. He comes here as a human. And as he steps into the world of humanity, 
He doesn't come as a conquering hero. He comes as a frail and vulnerable child born into the world of human beings, growing as a child to manhood. And then as his father indicates the time for him, he steps onto the throne, not the throne, the stage. He steps onto the stage of history and begins the, the work of the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom, telling people that God has prepared a place for them and that he's, he's calling them into his family to find a home, to find an identity, to find a place that's made just for them. And he demonstrates what the new place will be like by healing the sick and by raising the dead and cleansing the lepers and then pays the price of admission because we can't come as we are because we're fallen and broken, lost, frail, with tendencies towards sin and wickedness. We need a new life. And so Jesus pays the price of admission. He says, I'll give my life for your life. He humbles himself even to death on a cross. And so God raises him from dead. He exalts him on high. And in the next book in the New Testament, Ephesians, it says, And as he ascended on high, he scattered gifts to his people. The gifts that are the gifts of his life lived out in them and through them. An amazing story. It's beautiful. But here's the thing. The bit that we miss is right at the beginning. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The word attitude there, the Greek word phroneo, means an internal orientation toward a goal. An internal orientation. So your internal orientation as a person should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so we, we hear that and we say, okay, well, obviously God wants me to serve other people. I'm, I'm ready to do that. And so often we do that and we find ourselves struggling because it feels demeaning. It feels as though, it feels as though we're, we're putting ourselves in a, in a position and a place that really doesn't represent who we feel we are. Sometimes we've heard this message and we've presented ourselves as a kind of doormat for other people. And, and we found ourselves thinking, well, if this is the way that God wants me to be, it, I mean, it's okay, but man, I, I thought it was good news. And people see that and they say, let's try another religion. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like the one I want to be part of. Who wants to be a doormat? 
But you see, it's because we've missed the story. Where does the story begin? The story begins with a position of privilege, with an identity that is glorious. Here's Jesus, he's the Son of God. Now, as the Son of God, that means that he has access to all of the resources of the universe. Of course he does, he made it. And so, if our inner orientation should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, then nothing we do should begin unless we start there. Because it's, don't you hate it when you get halfway through a story and you think, how did, it, how did we get here? And you don't know, you, you can't work out I mean, was there something really important at the beginning that I should have seen that, that kind of helps me to understand the rest of the story? The worst thing possible is to find yourself in the middle of something. Sally was calling me the other day. She said, you haven't started Yellowstone yet, have you? I said, no. She said, Mike, have you started Yellowstone yet? I said, no, I haven't, but I have started The Crown. All right, but as long as you don't start Yellowstone until I get home, okay. Because there's nothing worse, is there? You don't want to get in the middle of something. You want the whole thing. You see, as we move into the season of the celebration of the birth of Jesus, it's a time when we can welcome and invite people to be part of the worship to be part of listening to what it is that God wants to say to us. It's a time of invitation. It's a time of welcome. It's a time of openness. It's a time when you can say to your family, I know you don't normally go, but hey, how about it? Come and join me in the living room as we gather online. Come and join me in the gathering space as we come to worship God. Just come. It's not something where you're going to be put under pressure. It's something where you can just listen and share and enjoy what it is that God's doing. And of course, that's what we'll be doing in these coming weeks. I, I know that that's true of so many of us. But if people don't hear the whole story, they won't find it as compelling. They won't find it as interesting. They won't find it as attractive. You see, the story starts with you being in an incredible position of privilege because your identity is that of a child of God. And not a child of God in a long pecking order that starts with Jesus and then maybe Abraham and Sarah and then all the way through the Old Testament and then all the way through the New Testament and then there's those couple of disciples who are not mentioned by name and, you know, and then, no. This is, where the, this is where the New Testament, the, the new, hey Nick, how are you? His name's Nick. The New Testament puts it like this. You are a co-heir with Christ. A co-heir with Christ. In other words, 
All of the resources available to Jesus are available to you in equal measure. In equal measure. Turn to your neighbor and go, wow. There you go. It's amazing. And if you don't have a neighbor, then snuggle up a little bit and find one. Wow. Yeah? That's when you rightly should, you know, include more syllables in the word that's only got one syllable. Wow. We're co-heirs with Christ. And so this is how your story is supposed to begin. This is how our story together is supposed to be encouraged in one another. Yes, it's absolutely correct that like Paul, we should be prepared to be the servants, even to the extent of perhaps offering our whole lives. Yes, of course, it's entirely appropriate that we who follow Jesus should follow in his, in his footsteps to the degree that we're prepared to sacrifice all. But you don't start there. Jesus, of course, sacrifices everything for us, but he didn't start there. He starts with glory and identity and privilege. It's absolutely correct that we should see ourselves this way. That privilege is not something restricted for a particular group or a particular gender. This is not something for white men. This is the privilege that is shared by all of God's children. And from that privilege, from that position of glorious identity, we step into the world of service. And what's the greatest service? Being the representative that Jesus is looking for and sharing his story with another. That sharing of his story with another is something that's so important that hey Nick where are you going are you going upstairs okay just chill alright he's finding a good spot I don't think he likes the people on the front row So, how then, how then should we understand all of this? Well, God wants you to do something. Let's, let's just be honest about it, okay? God wants you to do something. You're supposed to do something. You're not supposed to just coast and have nothing that you do. You, you're not supposed to be one of these people who has no sense of calling, no sense of vocation. You're not supposed to be a person that has no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, of course. You're supposed to do something. But doing comes from being. We're human beings before we're human doings. We are the children of God, and in that being, we represent God. We're the people of Jesus, and from that being, we're able to do the doing to do all of the things that Jesus did because that's what he wants. 
He's looking for someone who's prepared to do the things that he did. He's looking for someone to say the things that he said, but he wants you to function from the position that you know that you have a glorious identity. This is not a forced thing. This is not something that feels like you have to. This is something that you feel that you get to. You get to just live as the child of God. This is the way, this is the way Paul puts it in the passage here. Just, just look, at, look at this. It says, uh, it says, do everything without, this is verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Now, it's not that you're going to become children of God. It's that you're going to become pure and blameless children of God. You're already children of God. And, and, and Paul's saying, look, one of the things about Christians that's really, really unattractive is that they're grumps. That they're grumpy. That they, that they have this kind of complaining attitude. That they're always worrying about the things that everybody else worries about. And of course it's understandable, but we have a future that's not defined by here. We have a home that's not found here. We're aliens and strangers here. We have another land, another city, and we own it. It's ours, and we're co-heirs with Christ in that place. And so arguing and complaining about here, I mean, what's the point? Of course, it's understandable. We're frail, we're weak, we struggle. All of us do, I do, every day. But we have another place, another identity, another home. Paul says, look, if you want to live according to your identity, then, then just put aside those kinds of things. And then he says this, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, he knows what the world's like, it's not changed, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Not in which you could shine not maybe if you try really, really hard and become a really, really star-like person today, you shine. Not if you really squeeze really, really hard and get all your faith together, uh, bing, you become the star. No. Paul says, in which you shine as stars. Now, what is, he, what is he getting after here? Well, the way in which the people that he was writing to understood the world was that when they looked at the heavens at night, and of course, there was no light pollution in most of the places that, that people lived in those days, and so you could see this amazing display of glorious illumination in the heavens. And if you've ever been in a place where you can be in the middle of the desert 
and have no lights around you, it's incredible. Even with the other kinds of pollution that kind of prevent us from seeing all of the stuff, it's amazing. Sometimes when I've been above the Arctic Circle or sometimes when I've been in the desert and you look up, it's just breathtaking. And according to the way in which people saw the world in those days, every light was a member of the household of heaven. Now, in pagan religions, they assumed that they were the multiplicity of gods. In biblical faith, it was, of course, there's only one God, and so these are the family of God, the children of God, the angels. And so when God says to Abraham at the beginning of the story, step outside, son, I'm sure Abraham's thinking, I don't, I don't want to step outside with anybody that big. He says, step outside. Look at the heavens. Can you count the stars? Impossible. That's how big my family is. You see, according to the word and the worldview of the day, what God was saying was, look at the size of my family. It's uncountable, innumerable. And he says, so will your family be. Your family will be like the grains of sand on the seashore. Of course, you don't live in heaven like me, but the world will be inhabited by a family just as big. That's what it was that God was getting across to Abraham. It's an amazing thing. And so here's Paul. He's picking up the cosmology of the day. He's, he's picking up the, the way in which people saw the universe, and he's saying, look, your children, and right now, you're shining here, not there. Right now, you're illuminating this dark world rather than that dark world. And it is your identity. You are a star. You may wonder why it is that people smile at you. It's because you're a star. You may wonder why it is that people like you. It's because you're a star. You may wonder why it is that people find that they want to come close to you, but then they don't want to come too close. Well, it's because you're a star. And every star is like the sun. And so it kind of draws you in, but then you think, whoa, wait a minute. You see, you're a star. You don't have to try to be it. You don't have to work it up. You are that. And then Paul says, look, this is what you be. This is what I want you to do. Hold out the word of truth. And you go, oh, I knew it would be. I, I, I'm terrible at remembering the verses of the Bible. Memorize the Bible is a good thing to do. But that's not what Paul's saying. The word truth here, of course, refers indirectly to Scripture. Because Scripture opens to us what truth is. But truth is a person. Truth is a person in the Bible. Turn to your neighbor and say, truth is a person. Truth is a person. 
Does anybody remember Jesus saying, I am the way, the and the He's indicating his identity. And the word truth there, aletheia, the word truth there means the defining reality. What is it that defines all reality? The defining reality that we call the truth. Jesus is the defining reality. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, you shine in the universe of this world as a star. That's what you be. And what I want you to do so that that shining, that illumination, causes the effect that God is looking for from your life, he says, hold out the defining reality of your life. You don't have to be a clever arguer. You don't have to be a clever representative kind of speaker. You don't have to be a person that can advocate for the various different biblical truths. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to say, Jesus defines my life. He helps me make decisions. He helps me make relationships. He helps me understand where I'm going and what I'm doing. That's it, holding out the truth. So, what's the, what's the way that we can apply this? Well, Paul, being a great teacher, gives us a great word. Now, I don't know what Paul was like. I don't know whether he'd been an athlete as a kid, but even in the passage that we read, he talks about laboring and running, doesn't he? He often talks about being an athlete and, and, and doing various different things. He, he talks about boxing and, and straining after something and pressing on towards the goal in the next chapter. So he's often drawing on these metaphors that, that give us an indication of, of how it is that we can function from the being to the doing. From the being to the doing. Just read with me these these few words here. Verse 12, right after Paul has given the picture of the heroic story of Jesus, the heroic journey of Jesus, stepping from heaven, becoming a human being, even to death on a cross, God's exalting him. And then he says, therefore, therefore, in other words, in consequence of that, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, you can misunderstand that and misread it if you misunderstand what it is that Paul is saying all the way through the New Testament and what the Bible says over and over again. Of course we can't work out our salvation by ourselves. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, work out what God has worked in. See it? See it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Yeah? So we're working out what God's already worked in. Yeah? How do we do it? Well, I couldn't think of another way to, 
to explain it. I, I go to the gym a lot because I'm old and frail, and if I don't, I barely cling to life. When I was 30, I wanted to be back in my 20s. In my 40s, I began to think, I don't have long for this life. In my 50s, I thought, do you know what? God has numbered my days, and I can decide whether I'm going to be healthy for all of them. Now in my 60s, I'm just glad I wake up in the morning. But I go, I go to the gym a lot. I'd see Gary Palmer there, pretending to work out. I think you were watching the TV last time I was in there, Gary. I don't know what that was. No, he's, he's really diligent. And I, I work with a trainer that, that Marilyn and Emma work with. I don't know why uh, Marilyn and Emma are working with a champion bodybuilder. But the, this lady that they work with is this person, Tina. She's amazing. She's like this champion bodybuilder, and she's awesome. And she trains me. And the people who watch me being trained by her kind of give me encouraging looks every so often, saying, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 I do I have to do another one? Yes, you have to do another one. And so there's a lot of fear and trembling. The fear is, I don't think I can do another rep. And the trembling is all over my body. <laughs> Tina will say, I can't see the muscles trembling just yet. And I'll say, they are, I promise you. I promise you they are, you just can't see them. But here's the thing. The great thing about Tina, like so many of the trainers I've worked with over the years, is that she's a real expert about what it is that you put in so that you can get it out. You see, it's no good having a workout if you haven't had a work in. Thank you, Jillian. Jillian agrees with me, nobody else has yet. But here's the point. You can only be healthy from a workout if you have put into the body the fuel that you need to burn in the workout. Yeah? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, work out what it is that God's worked into you. He's put so much into you. New life, a new future, a new hope, a way of understanding the world a defining reality. It's inside of you. All of that is inside of you. And it's all in a person. The Lord Jesus present by His Spirit in all those who have come to know God as children. He's worked into us what He wants us to work out of us. And how do we do the working out? Having our attitude like Jesus. Remembering that we're the children of God and that I'm walking into Starbucks to represent him.
Now, don't be weird. Don't do creepy, don't do creepy stuff, because that's not helpful. Jesus never did that. Yeah? So don't jump on the table and start banging a Bible and doing that. Jesus doesn't do that stuff. But he's looking for someone to bless, isn't he? That's what Jesus is doing. He's looking for someone to, to, to reach out to. He's looking for someone who needs lifting up. He's, he's looking for someone whose day is really going badly. It's really hard to do this unless you function and focus in the right kind of way. So this is what I'm gonna recommend. Have a warm up for the workout. I'll, I'll give you an example, I'll, I'll show you what I mean. You may have noticed I brought my workout bag with me today. You might have wondered why I was wearing a t-shirt underneath my jacket. And I was given these, um, these warm-up things. I know, it looks like the intestines of a camel. <laughs> and, um, and what you do is you, you start with one of, you start with one of the warm Now, you know, the thing about having a proper trainer and working and getting there eventually is basically you've got to use the machines and the free weights. But if you start with those, you're gonna pull the muscle real quick, yeah? It's a bit like when you go into Starbucks and say, brother, have you been saved? <laughs> you're gonna pull a muscle real quick, <laughs> yeah? Don't start there. Start by smiling, being a nice person. Just there would be a great place. Now. How do you do the warm-up? Well, you, it's, it's just a rubber band, so you just do a bit warm up the chest a bit. And you start thinking, ooh, it's starting to hurt a bit. I don't really like this. And then you, and you get the band and you do the outer delts and the front delts, yeah? And you do the biceps. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? You do this and then, then you do it on the other side. And then, and then when you've done, you've done it with this orange one, yeah, you, you go, okay, I think I can do that. That's good, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try the red one. And you get the red one out. And your muscles are starting to get warm, but they're not quite there yet. You can't really do a workout. And so you start on the red one and you go, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it now. Yeah, yeah, good. I can do it. Now, What's it like then? Being a person that's working out their salvation. Working out what God's worked in. Well, this is what I do every morning. I'm a child of God. Today I'm a child of God. Today, the Spirit of God lives in me. And the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. Today, I'm still a co-heir with Christ. Today, today, God loves me as much as he ever loved me, and I can't be any more loved than I am right now. In fact, God can't be closer to me than he is right now. Do you see what's going on here? I'm warming up 
the spiritual muscles. And as I'm warming up the spiritual muscles, I'm getting ready to work out what God has worked in. That's why I like coming to worship. Why? Because it warms up all of those spiritual muscles, doesn't it? I start singing the truth. I start hearing the truth. I start sharing the truth. I, I turn to people around me and I'm welcoming and kind and pleasant, even if I'm not for the rest of the week. I am on Sunday. It's great. And at least by doing that, I'm at least, as it were, keying myself, resetting myself. The reason I go to prayers with the, with the prayer team and the prayer warriors every morning, the reason that we come to prayer on a Tuesday night, why? Is it because we're really amazing Christians? No. It's because I want to, and the people who join me in it, want to work out what God has worked in. And I need to warm up those spiritual muscles for me to be able to do it without pulling something. Do you get it? Turn to your neighbor and say, work out what God has worked in. Go on, say it. It's your opportunity to start doing it. This is just a little stretching exercise. A little stretching exercise. Isn't that good? It's good to come to church and get stretched a little bit. You thought you were going to come here and just do nothing. No. You can't just watch the television like Gary does in the gym. You've got to turn to the person next to you. You've got to turn to the person next to you and say, work out what God has worked in. Go ahead. Go on. Find somebody. All right. Well, Listen, guys, it's going to be great this Christmas season as we move towards the celebration of Jesus stepping from his throne, becoming a human, and walking the path of obedience to death on a cross for us. It's going to be wonderful as we share that time. Invite people to join us. Say, I'm just going to church for a workout. It's a bit stretching, but it's really good for my spiritual muscles. And we do a warm-up exercise at the beginning. We kind of sing songs that kind of get us into the right. And then, you know, a trainer comes up and says, one more, you've got to do it one more time. <laughs> just like I just did there, yeah? Do you feel that this week you can step from your place of privilege and glory into the place of representation and service? Do you feel that? Three people, praise God. It's two more than last week, Lord, thank you. Let's pray together.